Hey everyone, welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. I am here today with a very special dude, Mr. Mike Tenney. What's up, y'all? He is a close friend and the host of the show Pop Culture Catechism, produced here at Awakened Catholic. We're going to be talking about Mike's history, his, um, his being a follower of Jesus Christ, blessed be his name, and what he is doing with the show Pop Culture Catechism, which really is, uh, in many ways, an innovative approach to the gospel and the catechism, catechesis. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I'm super stoked to be here with you, Mike, and the topic we're discussing today, this show, Pop Culture Catechism, is something that a ton of people have gotten into, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm personally very passionate about what you are doing. All of that, Mike, viewers, listeners, is coming up. Right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Awakened Catholic Show. I'm your host, Nick de la Torre, and this is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show, unless she's a really, really cool grandmother. I was here to talk with your grandmother. (laughs) Nope, nope, she's not here. I was misled. Yes, yes. Y'all. Uh, today we're talking about pop culture catechism, and we're talking about it with Mike Tenney. Pop culture catechism, what a weird notion. Uh, pop culture, catechism, not the same things. We're going to get into that, but first we're going to get into the man, Mike Tenney. Mike, take us back to the beginning. Oh, back to the beginning. So I'm from Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's in Montgomery County, just out, about a half hour outside Washington, D.C. I grew up with... Uh, my parents, two older brothers. Um, I'm like five years younger and seven years younger than my two older brothers. I was definitely like the little brother, uh, you know, jumping around, looking for attention <laughs> the whole time. You know, my family was Catholic. We went to, to church. My, my my dad was not a practicing, well, he was not Catholic until just a couple of years ago when he came into the church, but he always went to mass with us to support my mom and the family. And But it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like a real vibrant part of our house. You know, we would pray before meals, pray before bed. My mom would you know, talk a little bit about God. Sometimes we went to religious ed class, but we weren't like praying the rosary and that sort of thing around the house. It was, you know, it was, it was part of what we did, but I didn't see myself as like first and foremost, fundamentally a follower of Jesus, you Mm -hmm. know, like, uh, that came later when I got into middle school and high school, we had an awesome youth group at our parish and our, our youth minister, Terry was just really, really good at building a community and I just, I met people there that had a sort of freedom that I longed for. Mm. And I learned how to pray. I met young adults and it was really intergenerational, like the, the volunteers and core team that she had. It was some of my brother's older friends, my older brother's friends who were like college students and then some young adults. Like I remember my first small group leader was this guy who sang in the choir and he was in the Navy, uh, Chris. And like, I really looked up to him a lot and yeah. I'd kind of grown up singing, seeing him sing at church and he was my small group leader. So he really had a big impact on me. And then yeah, so I just I just met all these people of different generations, of different backgrounds, who were all alive for the faith, and it just really set something a fire in me. And they they taught me how to pray and speak to God as a friend. And for the first time at the age of like fifteen, I was like, "Whoa, Jesus is real. Mm. He has a plan for my life." And now I'm riding the train, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so from there, I just I just wanted more. What I a blessing! More. Yeah, to get that so early huge, on. Huge, huge blessing. And about the same time, I started going to a Catholic high school, so I kind of got the intellectual background. I'd always gone to public school before that, so like taking a religion class, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting. It, it dovetailed nicely with kind of an interior conversion. I'd just been confirmed a year before, so I had the extra dose of the Holy Spirit. So looking yeah. back now, I can kind of see that just as I was coming into adolescence, God was kind of paving the yeah. way for me and just kind of be like, all right, confirmation, you know, youth group, Catholic school, religion class. And yeah. then I started to find some some really good friends at my Catholic school. Uh, in, in particular, uh, these, these two girls that I became very good friends with, Ashley and Monica, who were just uh, Ashley was not Catholic. She was Presbyterian, but her church also had a really powerful youth group. And, but there, there was like a falling out between their youth pastor and their lead pastor. And so Ashley was just like, well, this can't fall apart. Everyone come to my house on Friday for Bible study and dinner. And mm. she started inviting all our friends from Catholic school. And so I, that's when I started like really reading the Bible and like discussing with Protestants, like, 
you know, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Bible? It really made me dig into my own faith. They were singing all these crazy Jesus songs. And that was when I had first started learning guitar. And so like now I'm, now I'm praising and getting a kind of a more charismatic view of the faith. And so I can just kind of see the Lord leading me along. And then I went to uh, Catholic University. I'm repping them today. And that faith community was just amazing. I met the the, Fran the conventual Franciscans there, Father Bob, Friar Santo, Father Brad, and they were just so it's like such witnesses of the faith. I started discerning the priesthood for a while, um, dated a really holy girl for a while. And yeah, after that, after college, I um, spent a year doing volunteer work with the Capuchin Franciscans in New York, doing Cap Corps and doing youth ministry. After that, I became a Catholic high school teacher for 14 years and started doing music at my parish. Uh, dated here and there, was in a rock band for a long time and trying to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, met my wife and now I'm Catholic speaker, worship leader and uh, quit my teaching job. And about that same time, you and I got connected mm -hmm. just like in a Facebook group yeah. and started like became Facebook friends and then yeah. started Facebook messaging and then started texting and then started doing Marco Polo and then became like really good friends. Yeah. And you were like, oh, I'm starting this thing called Awakened Catholic. Do you want to be a speaker? And I was like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then we started. Well, and that really shows this, you so. the power of, of, so that was a Facebook group called Catholic Creatives. Yeah, Catholic Creatives. Yeah. And it shows you the power of what, groups like that can really achieve in, in terms of real connection. Because a lot of times we can understandably diminish the power of, of tools like that, especially because they're, you know, more and more social media has kind of a stigma for shallow connection. And, yes. you know, it's pretty amazing how it doesn't just have to be that, no. you know, Catholic creatives provided a venue for us to meet each other mm -hmm. in the first place and then provide some real context for, for real collaboration. Yes. Uh, now it took, choosing to use it that way for sure right because i think some other people in the community uh and, and in a lot of other communities can use a platform like that like just to kind of pursue like anything you know instagram models or whatever it's like please look at me please give me mm -hmm. attention look at the things that i'm working on you yeah. know they come to the community looking to get something out of it not just not and not contribute also right you know? yeah 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 that's huge i want to take a step back and talk about so I found it interesting what you just shared, um, the the contrast with what my experience was, because I you went to public school for you know elementary, and then you went mm -hmm. into Catholic high school. For me, I went to Catholic elementary school and then went to public high school, mm -hmm. uh, and the results of that, the differences in our journey are pretty obvious because I did not come to the Lord at 15. If anything, I was working my way away from him. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not proposing that that's that formula of Catholic elementary into public high school creates that necessarily, yeah. but it is interesting, the, 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 the contrast between our journeys. So what was it like for you? What was your understanding of God before you had that as you were going through public elementary school? Yeah, my understanding of God was he exists and he loves you, but so, you know, but you get, you like follow the rules basically. Yeah. And if you're good, then, you know, I, I knew God loved me no matter what, but kind of, I guess my instinct was, you know, God really loves you and approves of you if you follow the rules. It was like transactional. Yeah. Very, very transactional. God's kind of far away. Yeah. Um, you can pray for stuff and maybe God will give it to you. Um, I did have, I did start to have some recognition that there was something deeper because my older brothers had gotten very into their faith in high school and college. And both of them taught me important lessons about prayer at an early age. Like I remember really? being in first grade and one of my friends was moving away and my, I was really sad about it. My brother, Brian told me that you can pray about that. And so my prayer was very simple. It was kind of like, let my friend move back, you know, <laughs> but that started a pattern in me of like pr praying prayers and petition before I went to bed. Mm. You know, and I remember my brother, David, when he came back, he went to Loyola University in Baltimore and he had this little like Jesuit prayer book of just like a bunch of different prayers, like Mother Teresa, John Paul II, St. Ignatius, Pedro Rupe, uh, a bunch of the different Jesuit saints and uh, Thomas Merton. And I, he just gave it to me and I kept it by my bedside. And before I went to bed at night, I would pick a different prayer out of it. And as I started to develop my favorites and little did I know I was starting to develop like the seeds of an interior life that later on in my youth group, when I learned to pray in a deeper way was, you know, it was, it was a, a stepping stone. Um, so my brothers especially were a real model of faith for mm. me, you know, and especially as I saw them when they went to college, they got involved in their campus ministries at their, at their colleges. Um, yeah. So staying though in your, in your younger years, what do you think built up? the transactional nature of your understanding of God? 
I think a lot of it was that it was defined a lot of by like what you do. Yeah. It was you go to church, you go to religious ed class, you pray before meals, you pray before bed, and that that was pretty much it. Like I don't I don't think I knew people that talked about Jesus like he was a real person. And and speaking about God in very abstract terms, and I think a lot of times Catholics do this, mm-hmm. we talk about our faith rather than talking about Jesus, mm. you know, <laughs> or it, a God rather than like Lord, Father. It's very impersonal, very yeah, kind yeah. of out there rather than like, you know, kind of like the devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus is very much about like Jesus loves you and he desires right. like you specifically. And there's this heart on fire with passion for you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that sense growing up. It was very yeah. much kind of like God, God's kind of like a kind of like Santa Claus almost, you know? Yeah, what you just said really struck me about that, that it was more like people were into their faith more than they were into God. Yeah. That, that's really interesting to me. Um, and the transactional thing, you know, it's a lot of the, criti- the criticism that's pointed towards Catholics and the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith, uh, is a misunderstanding about that transactional nature of our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we know, and, and viewer, listener, if you don't know, you should know, it isn't that. Mm-hmm. It's more, um, you know, it's kind of a chicken or egg thing because let's take my marriage, for example, and I want to know if you relate to this. The more I love my wife, the more in love with her I am, the more that pours out naturally in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more I choose to take action to woo my wife, to, to pursue my wife, that manifests as an internal reality uh, as a result of those external choices too. So there's this, this, this interplay between our external actions and the internal realities that are not, one is not uh, necessarily like the cause for the other, but they both inspire each other, they pour into each other. And I think that the way that our faith is meant to be lived out is kind of like that. Do you, do you re- resonate with that? Yeah, I do. And I think it can be easy to mistake the gift for the, the giver. Mm. And th- this happens in the Catholic faith with, you know, people who, uh, they love the traditions of the church, mm-hmm. you know, and even if they've kind of drifted in their relationship with God, there's still something about them. They love to go to Easter mass. They love to go to Christmas mass. And, and this isn't to, to judge anyone or, you know, they, they love the smell of incense and they, they find some comfort in, in the rituals, which is, which is beautiful, but they've kind of lost the heart of it. And I, I've heard some of my Protestant brothers and sisters talk about, when I say brothers and sisters, I mean broadly, not my actual brothers and sisters, yeah. but um, friends there, they talk about going back to the heart of worship, right? It's not just about the songs and the kick drum, right? Because that can be an idol too, or it's not just about how good your pastor is at preaching, right? It's not just about how good the coffee bar in your mega church <laughs> is. And all those things can be, can be good if done in the right way. Yeah. And I think in Catholicism, what that looks like is checking the boxes. Did I go to mass? Did I go to yeah. confession once a year? Did I fast on Fridays during Lent? It can become very ritualized because those are the easy things. Right? Uh, ritualized, um, maybe a, a better term for it is like it, it becomes a void of the, the the internal reality. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, because ritual is good. Right. Exactly. Ritual builds yeah. virtue. Right. Rich, ritual is what you rely on when you're going through a time of desolation. Is like you, yeah. you don't feel it. You know, yeah. like you can rely on those rituals. So I don't. I don't mean it in any yeah. pejorative way, but it becomes uh, routine. I guess is a better. Yeah, that's way. a great way to put you know? that. Yeah. And I think that um, it's it's interesting. I'm having all kinds of. I've never considered these things the way that we're talking about them right now. Um, so the 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 idea of the faith becoming an idol versus like just worshiping God, having a relationship with God versus having a relationship with the, the faith in a weird, yeah, I don't know like if that makes it, sense. When we were talking with Christopher West yesterday, he ta- kept talking about mistaking the icon yeah, right. for the real thing and mistake that when the icon becomes an idol. Yeah. And that, that happens in relationships too. Like you were talking about with Alina, your lovely wife, who has taken like such good care of me when I stay here, by the way, <laughs> she's just, she's awesome. She's I love great. her. Um, that that can become routine in, in that yeah. kind of negative way we were yeah. talking about too. Even rituals and relationships are good. Like um, you know, relationship experts talk about you need to build rituals with your family. Those are really important. But when when they become empty and when they become so routine that you you forget what they're for 
And that yeah. was something Jesus was so, like his biggest critiques were for the people that the, the ritual had become just a routine, right? Mm-hmm. And they lost sight of the meaning. And he says to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs, mm-hmm. right? You look, you're, you're this tomb that's all white and pretty and so pristine and clean, but inside there's this dead rotting corpse. And if we're not careful, we mistake, we turn our icons into idols. We mistake the, the gift for the giver. Yes. And our, our beautiful rituals, which are supposed to anchor us and build virtue yeah. within us, they become routine. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that it's interesting to be discussing this. And, and I've, again, I've never thought of it this way, but what I have thought about in the past is thinking about our Protestant brothers and sisters in the same way that we're talking about this for Catholicism mm-hmm. and the church. Um, I have in the past proposed that there's an idolatry happening for the Bible in sure. Protestantism, right? Sure. Like, yeah, you know the Bible and you're, maybe you're reading the Bible, but do you know God and are you talking to God? Mm-hmm. Um, and not not to presume if you're Protestant watching you listening to this that you don't know God or that yeah, you're not talking not to him. Um, but we're talking about sometimes extremes that we can fall into that I think are a byproduct of the divisions that we create amongst ourselves because, for example, the, it, really what we're talking about is a little bit of tribalism because yeah. I a lot of people have to identify so staunchly with their Catholicism that it becomes an idol mm-hmm. because of the contrast that we've created in our mm-hmm. divisions. So because they read the Bible, we don't. Well, that or even just... Because they have good preaching, we don't. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and because we do the sign of the cross, they don't. Right, right, you know? exactly. Um, but but even like that notion of like, well, I'm I'm firm in my, my Catholic faith, like, I'm firm in God might have been the language before the, Ref- the Reformation, mm. right? But now we have to draw these distinctions, like I'm firm in my Catholic faith yeah. versus I'm just firm in my relationship with God, yeah. you know? And I think that's a really interesting thing to consider too. Another example, I think part of it is the tribalism. I think you're right. I think a part of it is just human nature. You know, we, right. we yeah. get bored and, and we get tired and it's part of our fallen nature. I think of a doctor, my wife's a nurse practitioner, and she talks about how she tries so hard and she prays when she sees like a sick kid come into the ER to, to see each child with their dignity and to see each parent. And sometimes parents can be crazy when they come in the ER because they're all stressed out and they don't understand all the medical lingo and what's happening to my child. And they don't understand that, you know, they're fine. They're just coughing for a little bit, you know? Yeah. And so it can be, be challenging, but she talks about how she, she tries to remember the dignity of each person that comes in. And I think we've probably, most of us have been to doctors who it is for them. It is like checking a box, yeah. you know, it's like they just go through the motions. Yeah. You're right. And I think it's a reminder to us in our faith, in our relationships, in our careers, in our callings, and in our interior life with God, we can't just be going through the motions. The routine and the ritual of the motions are good. Again, they build ritual within us that we can rely on them in those times of, 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 of struggle when we don't know what else to do. We, we fall back on them. But we need to be sure that like we're not whitewashed tombs. Yeah, so. and everything we're talking about right now you know, presupposes that the, the listener or, or the, the person involved in this discussion is, is already a believer. Yeah. Uh, but this is definitely not a topic to come out the gates with when you're trying to evangelize someone. For sure. So let's talk about what we should talk about mm. when we're trying to reach out to someone yes. who has not been exposed to the person of Jesus Christ, blessed be his name. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for the Kerygma speed round. <laughs> Are you ready, Mike? I'm ready. All right. First question, who is Jesus to you? Uh, Jesus Christ was a man who lived about 2,000 years ago in modern-day Israel. Uh, He was a Jewish rabbi who had a unique (laughs) view on the scriptures, and the jury was kind of out on... He he was claiming to be this Messiah figure from the Old Testament. He was even claiming some people thought to be God, claiming some of God's divinity, some of God's authority to speak in the place of God, to speak in the place of the prophets. And the jury was kind of out on whether he's legit or not, and he was killed and executed uh, by the Romans for you know claiming these divine claims against the Roman Empire uh, and against the Roman Emperor who was a god. And so they thought the verdict was delivered. Clearly, he was not the Messiah. Clearly, mm-hmm. he was not God. But then, brother rose from the dead three <laughs> days later <laughs> and set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. And his teachings, when I read them they set my heart on fire. And when I don't know what to do with my anger, Jesus shows me. When I don't know what to do with the restlessness in my heart, 
Jesus shows me. When I don't know what to do with the shame I feel from the things I've done and the ways I've hurt people and the way I've hurt myself and the ways I've fallen short, this Jesus that I read about, he's real. Mm. And I've also found that when I go to him in prayer and I I listen to these people we call saints and try to follow the ways that they've talked to God, I can speak to him in that way too. And the, the wisdom of the church through the years, it has, like, I find that it actually works. Right. And so not only was Jesus this guy 2,000 years ago, but I've discovered that I, he's still alive and he still speaks to my heart through the scriptures and the sacraments and the teachings of the church and my community. And he's still alive today. Wow. And he's my lover, savior, redeemer, and friend, you know? Beautiful. That's a great response. Question number two, <laughs> elevator pitch for a life with Jesus. Oh, man. I would... Oftentimes when I'm, I'm preaching a mission or I'm giving a talk or you know, giving a podcast, I often start, Carl Rahner was a famous theologian from the 20th century. And I think something that he's really good at is he starts with the human experience of emptiness, of we search and we search and we can't quite find something to fill us. Mm. And I think in the modern world, Modern men and women are keenly aware of that hole in our hearts that cannot be satisfied. Yeah. You know, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he says, you will drink from this water and be thirsty again. And you'll come back and be thirsty again. You'll come back and be thirsty again. He says, but I could give you something where you would drink from it and you would never be thirsty again. And when we talk to people about that, I've never met someone who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Maybe they can't put words to it. I mean, I have trouble putting words to it because it's a great yeah. mystery. But all of us have felt that restlessness. Yeah. And Jesus can fill it, mm-hmm. you know? And in this life, we, we'll never have complete happiness, but mm-hmm. more than anything else you could try to chase after, like no matter how many followers you have, no matter how famous you get, no matter how good your romantic life is, no matter how much money you have, no matter how influential you are, no matter how much power you have, you always want more. You, it's always going back to that well. And only the creator of the universe who is infinite can fill that infinite hole within us, that infinite desire, Yeah, you know? Amen. And that is at once the question and the answer for me. So. Mm, that's beautiful. Question number three, final question. Okay. Elevator pitch for life specifically as a Catholic. Whew. Okay, well, I've already kind of said this a little bit is yeah. because in the Catholic church, we got Jesus, okay? And the, the, the scriptures, okay? But we also have these saints whose wisdom is, you know, I, I read them and there's so much that applies to my life and their ways of praying have like changed my life. Like when I pray with the meditations of Teresa of Avila or Ignatius Loyola, like, oh, it unlocks my heart and it unlocks my world. Yeah. Um, St. Francis, St. Clair, reading about the ways that they prayed and they lived, it makes me want to live that way. Yes. And it also gives me a guide and this a little spoiler for what we're going to talk about later in the Kyrgyzma speed round, or not the Kyrgyzma speed round, the Catholic weird stuff. It gives me a better lens to view the world than just like whatever happens to be like human wisdom right now. Yeah. You know, like it's so hard to know in this crazy world, who can I trust? Like what, what is believable? What is true? And I find even, even the smartest people in the world, even the wisest people in the world, like their ideas change. Sometimes they're, 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 they're hypocrites and, and, what I find through the the teachings of the church and the popes and the councils is something re- just a, just a better lens to see the world mm. than often what we're what we're given as you you kind of got to choose that like the tribalism we we're talking yep. about you got to choose this side or this side if you're not for us you're against us yep. and I find a third way in the church that is can can look and say all right you guys got a point you guys got a point here's where you're off track yeah. Here's where you're off track. We can work together on this. This is way out there. <laughs> and yep. this is off the reservation. Yep. This is really good. You know, and so it, it gives us uh, uh it gives us a, a um the 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 code, yeah. you know, the cipher to decode that's so much so of craziness good. in the world. So that's I love that. It's the cipher. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mike, that was a beautiful Kerygma speed round. Thank you so much for your insights. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you can now share the Kerygma with people. There you go. There you go. All right. So let's get back to you. So you are someone that uh, when we met 
on the Catholic Creatives Facebook group, you stood out to me very quickly as a dude that I wanted to get to know more. Um, we started connecting over uh, that fun app called Marco Polo, yep. where we can send each other these video messages. And uh, it's basically like texting, but with video. Yeah. And uh, we just, over time, we got to know each other more and more. And I was finding you to be someone whose insights I was being blessed by. Um, Ditto. Stop. <laughs> uh, but but truly, and, and when I when I feel that way about someone, it's like, it's kind of like how I feel about the faith. It's like, um, my relationship with the Lord has blessed me so much. I want other people to have that blessing. Mm. And as I was being blessed by your insights and and your spirituality, your your uh, masculinity, your, your approach to existence, it, it's similar. And it's like I want other people to be blessed by this too, <laughs> you know. And oh, I happen to have a medium for that. Let me let me invite him to do that. Let me invite him to bless others with with his very self. Awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. And so when we were putting together Awaken Catholic, um, you know, I was one of the things that I was learning about you was that you are a man who is like a lot of a lot of men that are strong in the faith, a lot of men that are are holy. Um, they they kind of have like this detachment from the world because that's what they needed. That's part of their journey or whatever. Part of who you are and part of what makes you who you are is that you're in this world and you're in it with the rest of us. You're in it with the people Mm -hmm. and you're observing, you know, you're you're participating in the observance of media and you're passionate about music and Mm -hmm. movies and, and, it just kind of like when we started talking about what it would look like for you to do this kind of thing, it, it came to the surface like this could be a cool approach to this where we digest what the world is putting out there, picking apart the good, true, and beautiful from it. Yes. Uh, as well as then, you know, isolating from that what is not good, true, and beautiful yeah. and, and having a conversation, a dialogue around what that is. And that was kind of, uh, from my perspective, in a, in a crude nutshell, the generation of pop culture catechism. Yeah, it was. Well, and I, I remember finding in you through those conversations, somebody, I, was, I remember being struck by your vulnerability and your willingness to just like share your story, which if you've listened to other episodes of this show, or The Prodigal Life, which you're also on, um, Nick has a beautiful story, lots of beautiful stories. Um, and so just one, your, your vulnerability in too just like rapidly talented oh, gosh. <laughs> in all sorts of different ways and so uh it also just i liked your personality and i like chatting chatting with you and talking with you uh and so when you suggested that there might be a way that we could work together i think originally you had reached out to me as a speaker for yeah. awaken catholic events and then when the world shut down because of covid uh you pivoted to, to podcasts and so you were like hey could you come out here every once in a while and, and do a show and my wife really encouraged me to do that she was like you would be great at that and i had just quit my job of being a teacher for 14 years and i was thinking about moving into the online space and doing some ministry online anyway and so it just kind of it was very providential yeah and so at first i was going to call it awaken catholic reviews was going to be the name of the show and we're going to do album reviews so it's going to like review whatever the new ed sheeran or taylor swift album or kanye album was and i remember my wife being like that's a terrible name <laughs> <laughs> so god bless my wife maddie and so the name actually came kind of before the concept I came up with the idea. I don't know where it came from, but just pop culture catechism. I was like, that's catchy. I like that. And my wife was like, yeah, that's a good name. And then as I started to think about, all right, well, what's a catechism? A catechism is a tool that helps you learn the faith. It's a tool for catechesis. For and a lot of people don't faith. know we have more than one. Yeah, there's we, been lots of catechisms yeah. through the history of the church. There's the Roman catechism that came after the Council of Trent. There's the famous Baltimore catechism, which was kind of question and answer. And there's and even then, more than that. Oh, yeah, there's tons, it, of, there's tons of catechisms. Those are, the, those are the famous ones, but they've, they've happened for, for yeah. years. And other Christian denominations have them it's kind of like how well. Kleenex has become synonymous with tissue. It's like when, yeah. when you mention catechism, everyone just like, because of our Catholic culture, mm-hmm. like the way it's evolved, we assume we're talking about mm-hmm. the catechism of the Catholic church, yeah. that green book, you yeah. know? Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah. So, so go on. Well, anyway, what I was going to say is, so we're a pop culture catechism. We're using pop culture to teach the faith and just thinking about the great teaching tools of history. So often it's been a dialogue. If you read some of St. Augustine's stuff, like I'm thinking specifically has a, a great short work called On the Free Choice of the Will. And it's an imagined dialogue between two people. He's kind of 
using Plato's style of a dialogue. And St. Thomas Aquinas in his great Summa, like his Encyclopedia of Theology, Thomas Aquinas, it's written as a dialogue. He, he says, all right, well, here's the question. Here's what this person says. Here's what this person says. Here's what this person says. On the contrary, here's, here's what I say. And so it's written as a dialogue. And again, the Baltimore Catechism, which a lot of older people grew up with in, in the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's written as a question and an answer. And so I found that there's this great tradition in the church of learning through this dialectic, through this dialogue. And so I thought I can, using pop culture, that's like kind of one, one, one part of the tripod and then right. a good guest who I can have a dialogue with, who can speak to a topic. And then the, between the three of us, then we can really teach about the faith yeah. in a way that is going to be different than this. And, and will serve a different audience than the sort of people who would go to maybe father Mike Schmidt's catechism in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, some, maybe somebody wouldn't listen to that, but they would be like, Oh, there's an episode on Ted Lasso. Let's, let's see what this has to say or on the princess bride or Bridgerton or Cardi B or any of the other episodes we've done. Right. <laughs> so. Right. And, and some people maybe having watched Bridgerton or maybe having listened to Cardi B, they would uh-huh. think, uh, Mike, are you okay? Like you cannot extract <laughs> catechetical information from Cardi B or Bridgerton, you know? Yeah, uh-huh. uh, and, and I think that's the power of, of what you've created in this is that there, there are things that you can have a discussion about. And it mm-hmm. isn't just about like, what is Bridgerton teaching us directly, explicitly about yeah. God? Mm-hmm. It's more that anytime there is anything good, true, and beautiful, it is from God. Yes. And, and anytime that there is something that is not good, true, and beautiful, it is not of God. Mm-hmm. But, but then there's also this, you know, factor that is, well, what does it, what does it mean for something to be good, true, and beautiful? Mm-hmm. Because we have a, a really confusing sense of that in, in our world. Yeah. Well, and I want to be clear, you said that, you know, many, many people that are strong in their faith just say, well, I'm not going to watch shows. I'm going to yeah. cancel my subscriptions. Yeah. And I just want to be clear. I have great respect for that. In yeah. some ways I wish I could be more like that. Maybe that's an area for me to grow. Um, but I haven't found that to be my calling. Mm. And I think we're all called to, to, you know, I think probably most people could benefit from unplugging a little more, yeah. watching less That's TV fair. and shows, yeah. maybe listening to less music and having a little more silence in their lives. Uh, but I figured the people that are doing that, like there's, there's the Catholic media is replete with things for those people. Yeah. And who I'm thinking of when I do my show is really my former students that I taught for 14 years as a Catholic high school teacher is students who have really good hearts and often they love God. Oftentimes they pray, but they haven't found something in, for, for a lot of them, the church is still rules yeah. and it's not a place to call home. It's not a place where they found the love of God and they haven't necessarily found, they, they haven't come to see the faith as more than just rules. It's not the cipher. And so what I'm trying to, I, I often have my, my former students in mind as you know, this, this can be a lens through which you can see the world that's going to give you much deeper satisfaction, that's yeah. going to give you much deeper wisdom than Bridgerton, <laughs> than and there's Cardi such, B. And there's such value in that because we are yeah. surrounded by the world. And mm-hmm. unless you're going to isolate, you know, speaking of pop culture, the, the movie by M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> called The Village, the Village yeah. um, you know, unless you're going to isolate yourself and your offspring mm-hmm. and have a really tight knit, tight knit community mm-hmm. that is completely cut off from the rest of the world mm-hmm. and build an entire uh, mythos to protect those children mm-hmm. from ever going outside of the world and essentially lie to them their whole lives. Yeah. Um, and and what the what the village movie shows mm-hmm. puts on display is that that endeavor is mm-hmm. uh, futile. Yeah. Uh, and, and dangerous. Yeah. And people get hurt. Well, and I, I think there is a Catholic version of that. Like there's a, a famous idea called the Benedict option, which mm-hmm. I think can, which kind of the idea of like, we're almost going to form like little, little communities, almost like little monasteries like happened during the middle ages. And I think that can be done in a good and healthy way. Yes. But I also have deep respect for what Pope Francis talks about as the model of the church as a field hospital yeah. where we are out in the battle, mm-hmm. patching up wounds. And that's where I felt called. Yeah. is the person who is watching Bridgerton and being like, I want my romance life to be like that. I want my sex to be like that. Yeah. You know, And they're bleeding from this wound in their heart yeah. because they're receiving these, these lies from the, the culture that says, yes, sex is going to be empowering for yeah. you outside of a committed married relationship. Oh, yes, Car- Cardi B is shaking her butt. Like, yeah, she's, yeah. she's really happy with that. Like, they, they're bleeding from these wounds. And I want to be out there with them and saying, like the, your, your desires and what you see, there's something good there. There's mm-hmm. something beautiful there that's been twisted up. 
but there's something deeper. Yeah. Like you're drinking out of a puddle. Let yeah. me show you the clean water of the oasis. But you that know? that is huge. And and you can appreciate the clean the cleanliness of the water, the, yeah. the the purity of the water, in particular when you understand the contrast between that and the alternative. Yeah. And so, you know, you brought up the Benedict option. That that actually to me is not whatsoever anywhere mm -hmm. near what M. Night Shamayamanan is presenting mm -hmm. to us in the village. Yeah. Because it is not founded on deception. It's not founded on yeah, for sure. It's not founded even on fear. It's yeah. founded on choosing the good, true, and beautiful. Yes. Knowingly choosing it. And to know it, you have to understand what the contrast is, what you're turning away from. Mm -hmm. And in and in the village, there there is such uh an obsessive uh controlling they're they're not giving anyone choice. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not saying stay here because this is better. Mm -hmm. They're saying stay here or you will get eaten by yeah. these monsters. And in the there's woods. no sense of mission. There's no yes, sense when there's, exactly. there's people out there that there's a world out there that's hurting. And right. that's something that the monasteries did. The monasteries yes. were serving the poor. Oh yes, they were serving as beacons of light in yes. a dark world that people were flocking to. And yes, they even con converted their conquerors. You know, when the Vikings were coming through and ransacking monasteries, how many martyrs are there yeah. from the monasteries that were ransacked by the Vikings and others like them? Um, um, but those cultures were converted by that sacrificial love. So yeah. I have deep respect for the Benedict's option. Yeah. What, I, what I've felt called to primarily, at least at this point in my life, is the kind of the field hospital yeah, model. 100%. So and I think I think that's what the one of the beautiful things about being Catholic, and another reason why I love being Catholic is there's room for all those spiritualities. There's room for all those charisms. And that so. that to me is is the power again of what you're doing. Where for everyone, anyone in the faith, we mm -hmm. are in this world. Yeah. And, and there's no there's no escaping the fact that we are in this world unless you choose to escape it in an unhealthy, dysfunctional way mm -hmm. like the village presents. Yeah. And so being that we're in this world, we have to make a decision about how we are going to process that, um, how we're going to be present to it. Mm -hmm. You know, how many people that grow up extremely sheltered, you, you've heard the stories yeah. where someone is super sheltered all their lives and the moment they're 18 and they move out, mm -hmm. their life goes to ruin because yeah. they are immediately exposed to drugs and partying and, you know, yeah. and, and, and they, they're like excited by this new, these new things. Mm -hmm. And unless like, so, so that's where sheltering in a dysfunctional way becomes yeah. problematic. We are my, I, my family and I we're sheltering our, our family, our, our, our children in an appropriate and functional way so that, for example, um, the, 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 the kind of bizarre uh, criticisms and stuff that ha take place uh, as child, like as children, like, uh, for example, I, I, I and my siblings, like we have experiences where our teachers at the schools, um, there were key moments where they may, they may have put us down mm -hmm. for or embarrassed us for this thing or that thing. And it's like that crushes a kid. Yeah. Um, the the little clicks in the classroom mm -hmm. from an early age that yeah. crushes it that totally changes your understanding about your self-worth your dignity and whatever yeah. there are things like that that we are preserving them from mm -hmm. and i don't think i really believe that that is not going to weaken them socially mm -hmm. that's going to strengthen them to not be crushed so early on yeah. to grow in a strong and bold way so that mm -hmm. when they're out in the world that is their 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 psyche is strong and bold and ready to face whatever yeah um and as my my friend, uh, my dear friend Edmund Mitchell, we were joking at one point about him homeschooling his kids, and and how he was joking about how he bullies them because if he doesn't bully them, who else is going to bully uh -huh. them? You know, um, and so it's not about avoiding facing conflict or challenges, yeah. but it's like the world is real, mm -hmm. you know. So, anyways, well, can I say something? about yeah, that please. real quick. Is I think. There is, and I, I have, I, I think, again, it comes down to charism and prudential judgment. Um, yeah. Depending on your situation, Catholic school, public school, homeschool could be the right solution. Yeah. Um, my kids are in Catholic school right now. We're considering homeschool and, you know, some, some other things. Um, but I think it's a matter of personal discernment. Agreed. What I was, what I was going to say is I think something we've kind of lost in our modern culture is the idea of rites of passage. Mm. And what are rites of passage is they're helping you transition from child to adult. In, yeah. in several different ways. And so there's appropriate times and places to go from protection and you're in the bubble to, hey, now we're going to go out in the, the world. And yeah. I think that has to happen on every level developmentally with the, with the wise guidance of parents. And th this is where ritual can be so powerful Yeah, um, is, you know, I use the example of like a uh, getting a driver's license. They don't just give you your driver's license and say, go drive, which is what a lot of parents do with their kids. They shelter them until they go off to college and then they're off at college and they become victims to the world because they never learned how to drive. The driver's lessons, a driver's license, you learn the book first. 
you take the test. Then you have a permit where you're supervised and you have to get X number of hours. Then you take another test where it's actually hands-on. Then you have a provisional license. We're allowed to drive in certain situations, but not other situations. And only after that, after years and many, many hours, then are you allowed. And I think we should take a similar approach with our, our faith too, and, and with, our, with our children, you know, dating. You know, we don't just say no dating. We could say like, all right, well, let's get together in a group. Okay, you guys can go out for lunch and then you need to be back by this time, you know, yeah. and, 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 and talk about, have those conversations about like what is, what is valuable about this? What could be dangerous about this? Like why, why are we going through this whole process? Same thing with phones. I think if you just give your kid a smartphone at the age of 12, it's like giving them a, a car without any training, yeah. right? It's like start with like one of the, one of those little watches that can just text and and, and talk, or a, a, a dumb phone, a flip phone, you know. Yeah. And then you know, as they get older, and whatever you know, it what age this all happens that depends on the kid. You know, then maybe they can have a smartphone with certain apps and certain restrictions. But by the time they're ready to move out of the house, you should have worked with them to the point where they're able to have the restriction-free cell phone and have some skills yeah. for being able to handle it. But you have to work up to that. You, have you don't to just work have that it. virtue overnight. You don't just give a kid a car. Right. You don't just give a kid a cell phone. You don't yeah. just give it, you know, send a kid off to college and say, have fun with the girls, have fun with the boys. You yeah. know, and there's so many things like that. And you don't just do that with, with kids and their faith either. Right. You don't just make them go to church for 18 years and then expect them to have a vibrant faith when they go off on their own. You right. have to build some, some ownership within them, some leadership within them. Um, yeah. And you don't let them so. just watch Bridgerton at whatever age, Yes, you know, for sure. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so how does this all connect to the pop culture thing? We are in the world and when they are not under your roof or even for yourself, like mm -hmm. let's set aside the kids thing. Oh yeah. I um, need to do this for me too sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we need to be prudential about the things that we're consuming, but, but you're going to see things. I mean, if you live in a big city, you're going to see things just walking down the sidewalk. What yeah. is that going to do to you? If, if you mm -hmm. see, if you're a man and you see a, a woman that is, you know, uh, dressed, uh, revealing uh, too little about herself, mm -hmm. right? Uh, as Christopher <laughs> West would say, or or just immodestly dressed, right? Yeah. Um, how do you process that? Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to escape every temptation or every negative message. Like you have to be grounded in reality, yeah. and the reality is we live in this world. So how do we process it? That's pop culture catechism to me. Um, but before we get into that. I think it's time for the Catholic Weird Stuff segment. Are you ready, Ooh, Mike? I am ready. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if y'all are ready, but I'm ready. All right, let's do We're it. I'm gonna break some eggs here. <laughs> Catholic Weird Stuff. Why do they do the things that they do? Let's learn some Catholic Weird Stuff. It's a boy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Catholic Weird Stuff segment. Today we are with Mike Tenney, the host of Pop Culture Catechism, and he is going to talk to us today about Catholic social teaching. Why is that a topic for the Catholic Weird Stuff segment? Uh, because it's kind of a buzzword that a lot of people don't understand, and yeah. a lot of people think it means something that it isn't. So they hear the term social justice, and they think it means something that's very much associated with the left and being uh, kind of the pejorative term use of the term woke, you know, and it's, it's all about LGBTQ rights and trans rights and kind of this uh, aggressive sort of uh, anti-racism, which kind of sees everything in terms of, of race. And that's what most people mean when they see the term social justice, but social justice comes from Catholic theology. That term comes mm. from Catholic theology. And so um, there's an, a, a Catholic sense of social justice and Catholic social teaching, which I think is more woke, <laughs> you know, sure, which yeah. I, I think is, it gives, as I was talking about before, I In think the Catholic sense. faith, yeah, gives us, gives us a better lens to view the world and the issues of the world than just this kind of false binary we've been given. Yeah. So. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, so so tell me about that. All right, so uh, it starts in kind of the uh, Industrial Revolution, so late 1800s, and two things are happening is, one, people are moving off of farms into cities, and so lots of people are working just in factories, and now they don't own their own farms where they're growing their own food, but now they work for a boss, and now you have somebody who determines your, the quality of your work. You know, They determine the tools you have, the days off you have, how much you're getting paid, 
all of those things. And people are living together in, in cities in a way they never were before. So sometimes living conditions are bad. Sometimes working conditions are bad. At the same time, the, our understanding of the papacy at the end of the 19th century has been developed with a Pius IX and the first Vatican Council. And this is when the idea of, of uh, papal infallibility was really defined and the, the yeah. role of the Pope as teacher, we've gained a new awareness of that. Yeah. And so papal, papal encyclicals as official teachings of the Pope have become um, more important after this time. And Leo XIII writes this encyclical called Rerum Novarum, and it's about the rights and the dignity of workers. And a lot of the things that we take for granted today, a 40-hour work week, weekends off, uh, you know, sick days, the fact that you can't get fired if you get sick, um, you know, paid family leave, a lot of these things that we just see as, as normal and basic rights, a lot of that has its basis in Rerum Novarum. And all the popes since... Have, I don't know if all the popes since, but many of the popes since have updated it. So like, and, and they tend to name it after the anniversary of Rerum Novarum. So there's a quadrissimos, quadri, I'm bad at Latin, uh, anno, so it's 40 years after. And, and uh, John Paul II has one called Centissimus Annus, which is 100 years afterwards. And they, and they lay out this beautiful uh, Catholic social teaching, which shows us how to navigate justice in terms of us living in society. And so some of these key terms come to us like uh, the dignity of the human person respect for human life, the common good, rights and responsibilities, solidarity, the preferential option for the poor, subsidiarity, the universal destination of goods, stewardship of creation. You might have heard some of these buzzwords before. They all come from these documents yeah. of various popes. And when you start to read them, you start to see that there's, there's a better way to see the world. So Yeah, it's interesting how you know, so many sources are trying to provide solutions to us for the problems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in this in this very binary political system we're in, both sides say, I have the answer. Mm -hmm. I know how to fix the injustices that are happening. Yeah. And in either extreme of this binary system, there may be elements of the problems that we face that they actually do resolve. They yeah. actually do potentially lend to the solution. But then always on the altar of other aspects of the, of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so on the one hand, we may have solutions that, that address our responsibility to each other, mm -hmm. but then they also abdicate our, the reality and the importance because of our each, the dignity of each of us, mm -hmm. the, 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 the church's uh, proposal that we are meant to have sovereignty over ourselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then on the other extreme, there is an emphasis on this personal sovereignty that mm -hmm. abdicates the responsibility that we have to each other. Yes. And the church is saying we all have personal sovereignty and a responsibility Rights to each other. and responsibilities. Right? Yes. That's one of the key things. Yes. Well, and you'll notice the, the at Rerum Novarum, which is, you know, end of the 18th century or 19th century, 1800s, it's largely a critique of capitalism. And then through much of the 20th century, it's much a critique of socialism because, right. because you have the rise of the USSR and, yeah. and communism spreading. And then after the fall of the Soviet Union, we start to see some more critiques yep. <laughs> of capitalism. And uh, I love this. Uh, if you read just one of these documents, Sintisimus Anders by John Paul II is my personal favorite. Benedict XVI's Caritas and Veritate is also very good. But uh, JP2 Sintisimus Anders is just like... Mm, butter on the biscuit. So good. Uh, so he does this whole takedown of socialism and communism and like all the things wrong with it. And then he says, uh, so after all this, returning to the initial question, can now we be said that after the failure of communism, that capitalism is the victorious social system and that capitalism should be the goal of countries now making efforts to rebuild their ec economy and safety? Is this the new model which ought to be proposed to the countries of the world, to economic and civil progress? He says, well, it depends on what you mean by capitalism. By capitalism, you mean a system. I'm paraphrasing a bit here. This is paragraph 42. You mean an economic system which recognizes the fundamental positive role of business, the market, private property, and responsibility for the means of production as well as human creativity? Then, yeah. But if by capitalism you mean a system in which freedom in the economic system is not circumscribed, meaning is not contained within a strong judicial framework which places it at the service of human freedom in its totality, then the reply is certainly negative. So basically he's saying 
you can't have it, like people, the con- economy needs to serve people. People just can't serve the economy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then you have Pope Benedict the 16th, like in Caritas and Veritate, he talks about wealth distribution. Okay. And a lot of people hear us and we think socialism. Okay. But he, he, he goes back to Thomas Aquinas who has this idea, uh, which is also part of one of the, the, um, key principles of Catholic social teaching called the universal destination of goods. Who are the goods of the earth for? Mm. Everyone. And so Thomas actually says, if there is someone who is starving and they steal your bread, it's not theft because the goods of the earth belong to everyone. Wow. And so, because it doesn't actually belong to you now, on the other side, it doesn't mean you can just take whatever you want. It doesn't mean we should just, you know, it, should, it doesn't mean communism either. And there's tons of church teaching on that, okay? But capitalism is not absolute either. Private property, as we understand from, in America, as like coming from, as understood by John Locke and Thomas Jefferson, like that's not quite it either. There's, we're given the gifts of this world for everyone. And yes, I have a certain responsibility over my things, but the, the, the catechism quotes St. John Chrysostom. So this is a quote from St. John Chrysostom, doctor of the church. It's also quoted in the catechism, which means Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict gave it like the extra green stamp of like, this this is like official church teaching, okay? He says, when we don't share our wealth with the poor, is theft from the poor and a, depri- and a deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but their wealth. Therefore, let us use our goods sparingly as belonging to others, so that they may become our own. How shall we use them sparingly as belonging to others when we do not spend them beyond our needs and do not spend for our needs only, but give equal shares into the hands of the poor? Now, now we think we're doing a good job when we give 10%. Right. He says equal shares. He's that talking is, 50-50. That is, <laughs> okay? I have goosebumps right now. That is a, yeah. an incredible teaching. Yeah. Now, now, the problem becomes when, for example, I had a discussion with... Uh, someone I care about mm-hmm. that that is pretty supportive of they would they would say probably democratic socialism or something like yeah. that right mm-hmm. so a lot of places in Europe where the taxation mm-hmm. is just crazy yeah. high mm-hmm. and his claim was that the people there believe in it and and they just know that they're playing their part in society mm-hmm. but the problem is that there's a huge distinction between the government forcing you mm-hmm. to give such a massive majority of your revenue, mm-hmm. your income, yes. as a part of some some uh, economic governmental system, mm-hmm. there's a huge contrast between that and what that just said. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is this personal sovereignty, the choice to, to give of yourself. Yeah. So how, what would you say to that? So what I would say to that is, is yes, and that's why we don't believe in communism or what I would call an extreme version of socialism. And, and yeah. Benedict XVI, not in official teachings, but in an article he wrote uh, for First Things magazine, speaks in some ways very, very favorably of democratic socialism. But what I, what I would say is, yeah, the onus is primarily on us. And the reason for that is, is because another uh, principle of Catholic social teaching, solidarity. Yes. Where we're not just supposed to write a check. We're not just supposed to be taxed. We're supposed to be of one heart and mind yeah. and of one community yes. with the poor, yeah. right? We're supposed to be living amongst them as our brothers and yes. sisters and not just segregating ourselves in our own school systems, right. in our own, um, you know, housing communities and, and, that, and that sort of thing. But we also got to be careful there too, because there is such a thing as social sin right? There's not just the personal sin of me not giving enough to the poor. There's also the social sin or what Pope Francis often calls patterns of inequality or patterns of oppression. Uh, John Paul II talked about this culture of death. Pope Francis calls it something similar, a throwaway culture, where culturally and almost systemically, there are injustices going on. Like probably most of the clothes we're wearing were made in sweatshops. 100%. And the cobalt in our phone batteries yeah. was probably dug up out of the ground by child slave labor. Yeah, and so even if you and I are personally virtuous, there sometimes we do need those bigger structures right. that say, hey, our tax money is best used here. This yeah. policy, which prevents this business practice, is actually good and just. And um, the bishops of the United States often call this the two feet of social justice. And there's, there's, a, there's a page on it on the USCCB website where there's personal charity as a virtue, but then there's also uh, social justice, which sometimes has to happen at the structural level. Mm. And so 
Now, you might be saying, well, well, then what's the answer, Mike? What's the answer, Mike? The church doesn't give us a specific teaching. And actually, John Paul II says in Sentissimus Anus, there is no one-size-fits-all answer. There is no utopia, as St. Thomas More said. And anyone who tries to create one ends up creating hell on earth. (laughs) And so he says, you know, just as the church does not come out and say, this is what science says. They don't make pronouncements on science. They pronounce on faith and morals, which then guide experts in science. Mm-hmm. They provide to politicians and economists and, and public servants. These are the principles of Catholic social teaching. Now, you, vibrant Catholics, alive with the Holy Spirit, go and make good policies that will help and serve your community and the common good of your country, your county, your state, your neighborhood. Yeah. So it's the church doesn't it gives us these 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 principles. It doesn't give us a one size all fits you know one size yeah. fits all. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the danger of the tribalism that we get in our mm-hmm. binary system because we you know we cling to these ideas that like well this is the answer across the board like this is the right thing mm-hmm. and uh, honestly neither side is doing yeah. perfectly the right thing. Now there is one thing I will say is there are a few places in Catholic social teaching where John Paul II and, and other popes will say this specific thing out of line. Yeah. So for example, so this is from Evangelium Vitae, another great encyclical by Pope John Paul II. Man, he is so smart about these things. He says, among, this is paragraph 58 and following. Among all the crimes which can be committed against life, procured abortion has characteristics making it particularly serious and deplorable. The Second Vatican Council defines abortion together with infanticide as an unspeakable crime. In the case of an intrinsically unjust law, that means intrinsically unjust means there's no good intention that can make it right. There's no extenuating circumstances that can make it There's right. no exceptions. No, no exceptions. Yeah. Such as a law permitting abortion or euthanasia, it is therefore never licit to obey it or to take part in a propaganda campaign in favor of such a law or to vote for it. Wow. So they're very, very, Peter Range put me onto this, yeah? by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, and oh, I was gee. like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, so there are specific places and there's other, I would have to, I would have to find it, but he talks about other things that aren't just on the political right side of the spectrum. He talks about things like deportation being mm. intrinsically evil. Mm-hmm. And, and that, mean, that's a, that showing those two examples is yeah. a perfect example of, of, or are perfect examples of why we're saying what we're saying yeah. that, you know, if someone asks me, what political party are you? Where are you affiliated? I say Catholic, <laughs> you know? My, my friend Kim, one time, she uh, she sent me an article about some political thing that was going on. And she said, I want your position on this as a pro-life Democrat. And I was like, I don't really call myself a pro-life Democrat. I'd more call myself like a social justice Republican or, 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 or a social justice conservative, I think is what she said. Yeah, yeah. And she said, I didn't know that was a thing. And I was like, I don't know if it's a thing, but it's what I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a social justice conservative. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, because words matter, mm-hmm. you know, what do we mean by the word conservative? We're trying to conserve the good, true, and beautiful, conserve the dignity of the human person, conserve. Yeah. We're not trying to conserve mm-hmm. some antiquated way of doing things. You know, a lot of people yeah. are conservative. Racism, so, don't want to conserve right, that. No, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. not. Yeah, so, that, yeah. but that's an important distinction because for some people, they associate those those words mm-hmm. with different things. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that was your Catholic weird stuff yeah, segment. Catholic weird stuff. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't trigger everyone. <laughs> Oftentimes in these discussions, Both I end up with, sides of the aisle I end up with no one triggered. liking me at the end of yeah. it, which is just, but that's often where Jesus is. So that's, amen you know, that's to that. I try to yep. be, so. Amen. Okay. So pop culture catechism, Miguelito, yeah. Mikey Tenney. Um, so I want to know, we, we talked a little bit about the show already, what its essence is, what it's trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. I want to know what are some of the things that you think that maybe you've gone deeper in with the Lord as a result of running the show? What are some of the things you've learned as a result of running it? I've learned just that like everybody has a journey. Okay. Because I, I have friends reach out to me who you know, and I've been I've been teaching this stuff for forever, just in my in my classes, you know, with yeah. my, with my Catholic high school students, and all of a sudden my friends are starting to reach out to me and be like, you know, like, well, I had a miscarriage, and what what does the church have to say about that? Mm. You know, yeah. oh well, like my my parents are divorced. What does the church have to say about that? Or like, I never heard about this type of prayer before. Or, you know, my little brother has fallen away from the faith and now considers himself an atheist, but he says he's been listening to your show. And, and now he's starting to have these questions again. And just, it's really struck home to me about just that people are always on such 
a journey. Yes. And that's yeah. where Jesus meets us. And so I think, I, I hope the show has made me more compassionate because yeah. I've had those people reach out to me. Some of them I know, some of them I don't. They're just like strangers on the internet. <laughs> just like leaving, leaving, a, leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. you know? And, or, or sending me a message on Instagram and it just really, and sometimes people are angry. Sometimes people aren't always nice saying, oh, your show is great. Sometimes they're, they're, they're angry about that too. And, you know, I, I, I try to view that with a, you know, proper, proper compassion, but just everyone's got a story and everybody's trying their best or they're trying to try their best, you know? Yeah. And so it's just, it's just given me a real heart for where people are in the journey. And so I, I so often say on the show is like, none of this is ever said in judgment, you yeah. know, it's meant to provide some, some guidance in this crazy world. And if you've been off the path, I've been off the path, I'm off the path all the time. Like there's no, there's no judgment. Um, other than I, I judge you as worthy of love because that's Ooh. what the father tells me, yeah. you know, and this, this, I might judge as stupid, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, I might judge as hurtful, yeah. you know, and, and that goes for me too. Mm. Uh, but Jesus doesn't tell us not to judge. He tells us not to judge in a way that we wouldn't judge ourselves. Don't measure the, 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 the cup with which you measure will be measured out to you. Right. And so I try to measure with a heaping abundance of grace and mm. compassion. Yes. Um, because again, I'm, I'm a sinner. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and the beauty is that, like, that is the God, the call of, of the, the disciple. Like that's the call for any of us that want to pursue the Lord. You know, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have, we have to strive, uh, like, like it's the most important thing in the world for mm-hmm. us to be little Christs. Yeah. That is what Christian means. And, and how did Christ handle someone, you know, he, he gave them compassion. He gave them love yeah. and didn't leave them where they were yeah. elevated them. Uh, called them to something greater than where they found themselves at, at the present. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely beautiful message. And I loved how you phrased trying to try their best. Yeah, That's to me the magic, because I've always been very repulsed by the notion that everyone's trying their best, because not everybody is trying their best. Yeah, they're, if they're trying their best, they're trying to try their best. <laughs> they're trying to try their best. I, that that to yeah. me is is the, the magical caveat to make that sentence work. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what would you say? Oh, and and to that end, the other thing about your answer to that question, you don't just feature guests on your show that see eye to eye with you. That's true. You don't just feature guests on your show that levitate when they pray the rosary. Yeah. You and I think I want to do more of that actually. Yeah, so. yeah, and and like you've had uh, some conversations on your show that really portray, I think, beautifully the capacity we should all strive for to have dialogue with people that we don't immediately agree with yeah. mm-hmm. um, and show that love with the appropriate correction yeah. in, in a compassionate way. Yeah. Uh, so I love that about what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. What would you say, um, if you can think of any in particular, are some standout episodes and topics that if someone was going to check out your show for the first time, what would you recommend they look at first? Uh, I think... Uh, the episode on Bridgerton with my wife and, her, yeah. and our friend Emily, I think, is a, is would be a good place to. to that get was into good. It. It, you're gonna find out too much about me. <laughs> if you so definitely to that one. check it out. Um, I think um, the Handmaid's Tale one that we did with Sam Pavlok of Femme Catholic. She's just brilliant. I have so much respect for her and the work that they're doing at Femme Catholic, and their conference is just like amazing the work they do it's like i wish i would have a woman so i could go to this conference <laughs> it's just like rock star after rock star and yeah. hero after hero of modern catholicism that's, yeah that's involved with that so um i really appreciated that um uh the kanye episode i thought was good the beyonce episode i thought was really good uh, a lot of people like the avatar the last airbender episode we have luke dimian yeah. who plays judas on the chosen a lot of people like that um, then we did an episode on the chosen with Bishop Bill Byrne from the Diocese of Springfield. Um, so the Princess Bride was one of our most recent episodes that people really dug. And I love so you you always do these cold opens at the beginning of your episodes uh-huh. where you're like quoting from the movie or you're uh-huh. singing the song or a song from the artist you're covering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the cold open for the Princess Bride uh, <laughs> episode because you and your wife in costume 
uh, that you just acted out one of the scenes. Uh-huh. It was so good. Thank it was you. so fun. Yeah, Ethan put Buckingham Palace in the background. It was yeah. Good. When you and I did something like that for the Matrix, we did yeah. a Matrix episode. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Where you were that. Morpheus and I was playing guitar in the background with a Santa hat on. Yeah. So yeah. We, we've done some fun ones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, the Another one that just like spoke so deeply to my heart was the one with John Mark Rodi, who's our host for uh, Elevate Ordinary on yeah. Catholic. He and I, he and I have done a bunch of shows together. We've done like probably four episodes. But we did one on Lord of the Rings, mm. and there's a moment in the episode where, like, he says something, and he's like, "Are, are you are you okay? Did you freeze up?" And I was like, "No, I just like need a moment to process what you said." <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, glory yeah. to God, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so much awesome stuff out there. I want I want to seriously encourage uh, listeners, viewers, if you haven't checked out Pop Culture Catechism, check it out. You can visit popculturecatechism.com mm-hmm. to see the episodes. Look it up on whatever podcasting or video platform you're using. Yeah, I try to have something for everybody. So if you're like younger and you're into Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish, there's stuff for mm-hmm. you. If you're older, we have a Springsteen episode. We have a U2 episode. We have a Beatles episode. That yeah. episode was really good. Yeah, your guest uh, for the U2 episode was, Chris, was, was Christopher, Christopher West. West. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. super cool. Um, awesome. Okay, wow. Great, great conversations here mike thank you so much for for bringing your your love and your passion for the lord and and for uh the work you're doing with the show thank you brother i love you a lot i love you too man truly um Ladies and gentlemen, this episode has been brought to you by CatholicMerch.store. If Which you, you're wearing, I right? Actually, yeah, yeah this is the um, super dope. This is hoodie. the Memento Mori hoodie. Uh, same design comes on t-shirts and yeah. a few different things. It's a badass skull right in the middle. Yeah, I actually designed this one. What? This one, uh, so... It, so talented. The, well, the merch on the store is a collaboration. I did some of the designs. Our designer, Sophia, did some of the designs. She's also super talented. She is also super talented. But all of the stuff on there is uh, completely original designs. And you won't find it anywhere else. And we use the best quality materials that we possibly can. Uh, so also, CatholicMerch.store, 100% of the proceeds support the mission of Awakened Catholic yep. uh, and support the mission of all of the shows at Awakened Catholic, The Awakened Catholic Show, Pop Culture Catechism, all of them. Uh, so please check out CatholicMerch.store, whether it's for yourself or for friends and family. Get it as a gift. Uh, like a great confirmation gift. A great confirmation. You know, Heck for like yeah. an eighth grader, get them like a cool hoodie or something yeah you could get him or her a rosary but like they're gonna get like 20 rosaries but they're gonna get 20 rosaries for their confirmation get them something from catholic merch dot store we also have drinkware we have a great mug um that i don't have with me right here we have it over there but like just good stuff check it out um and then additionally uh uh, the pilgrimage that i'm taking i'm i'm leading a pilgrimage with father eric schild later this year to visit the holy land uh so to learn more about that just visit awaken pilgrimages awakenpilgrimages.com and mike this has been a joy it's been a pleasure it's been edifying it's been efficacious yeah. uh yeah you're great the work you're doing is great i'm so uh, proud to call you friend and that you're part of the work that we're doing at awaken catholic Ditto, my friend. Uh, thank you brother ladies and gentlemen this has been the awaken catholic show i have been your host nick de la torre and before you go i just need you to know That Jesus Jesus loves loves you. He loves you so freaking much. Yes, he does. (laughs) (laughs) Peace.